lately I've been looking back along this winding road to the old familiar markers of the mercies I have known. I know it may sound simple, but it's more than a cliche. There's no other way to tell you but to say God's been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. And though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. Cause through it all, God's been good. Times replay and I can see that I've cried some bitter tears. But I felt his arms around me as I faced my greatest fears. I've had more. been good in my life. I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. And though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could. For through it all, God's been good. My Savior and my friend, His love was my beginning, His love will be my end. I could spend forever trying to tell you everything He is, but the best way I can say it is this, God's been good. In my life, I feel blessed beyond my wildest dreams when I go to sleep each night. Though I've had my share of hard times, I wouldn't change them if I could, because through it all, God's been good. Thankfully, if we thank the Lord, He has been good. Amen? No doubt about that. He's been good. Well, take your Bible. Turn over to the book of 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to look at verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Well, if I, uh, I don't want to forget to say happy Thanksgiving, so I'm going to say it now. 
just have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Enjoy your time with family and friends and others. And uh, whatever you do, make sure you eat plenty. Don't, uh, don't hold back a lick. Disregard the gluttony law. Okay, so don't do that. But nonetheless, eat to your heart's content, but don't break the law. Okay, so anyway, I don't know if this is coming out right or not. So I probably need to tell you about a minister. It was walking down the street when he came upon a group of about 10 or 12 boys. All of them. They were probably between the ages of 10 and 12, and they were just kind of gathered in a circle. And the, the preacher noticed that there was a dog right in the midst of them all, and he was kind of concerned about that. He, he thought that maybe the boys were hurting that dog, and so he went over there and he asked, he said, hey, what are you doing with that dog? One of the boys said, well, this dog's just an old neighborhood stray, and every one of us, every one of us wants him, so only one of us can take him home, though. That's obvious. So we decided that whichever one of us can tell the biggest lie will get to keep the dog. Of course, the preacher, I mean, he was like kind of taken back. I mean, he didn't understand that at all. He, he said, you boys shouldn't be having a contest telling lies. He then launches into about a 10-minute sermon against lying, you know. He's ripping some face. He's going off on the Word of God, and, and he's moving along, and he says, now, don't you boys know it's a sin to lie? And he ends by saying, why, when I was your age, I never told a lie. It was dead silence. I mean, it just, they just kind of sat, they just stood there. Their heads were kind of down, you know. And, and just as the preacher was beginning to think he'd gotten through to them, and the small boy, little, little guy, he, he kind of went, all right, give him the dog. <laughs> well, <laughs> I hope I don't earn a dog today. I hope I tell the truth, all right? So... Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. This passage here is probably a passage that you'll recognize if you've been in church any length of time. And if you haven't, well, it's one that you'll grow to appreciate more and more as you continue faithfully in the house of God. But notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Father, we come to you. I ask that you'd fill me with your Holy Ghost. May you take these short moments that we have together in this room and Father, may you allow it to be profitable for each. Lord, may our hearts be stirred. May we be moved. Father, may we be better for having come today and being a part of this service. And I pray, Lord, that like the psalmist said, we'd say it was good when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Now, Father, again, I need your leadership. I pray you'd guide me. I ask that you would stand in my shoes and you'd fill my mouth with your words, that I would speak only those things which are pleasing to you in your sight. May you be with every listening ear. May we hear with spiritual ears. That may we, we may leave here different than we came. God of heaven, we need you today. May your word come alive in our hearts. And may we carry it to a world in need. We'll thank you in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
So the Bible says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. The Apostle Paul, of course, is writing to the church at Corinth, and we know that the church of Corinth had a lot of problems. As a matter of fact, it's been cited many, many times before that if you want to bring out church doctrine, you don't go to Corinthians to do that because the church was a mess. You don't use them as an example of how to run your church because they had so many problems in their midst. But the Apostle Paul is writing to them now, and, and we're going to see that he had first defined the gospel. Look back in 1 Corinthians 15 again, chapter 15, but verses 3 and 4. Notice what it says there, and the Apostle Paul again defines the gospel. He outlines it. He makes it extremely clear what the gospel is. It says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul now writing to this church, a church that had many spiritual gifts, but were abusing the gifts and were doing many things amiss. And yet he says to them, let me outline and describe to you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Make it plain as I possibly can. It is literally Christ, the death, the burial, and the resurrection. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. He points out the necessity of the resurrection. Look at verses 17 through 20. As he goes along in that same chapter, we read in verse 17, And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You're yet in your sins. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. Obviously, within the church or maybe even on the outside, there were those that were telling the people that had this resurrection, the fact that Christ raised from the dead, that seems a little bit outlandish. It seems a little far out. It seems a little bit, you know, kind of over the top. And yet, the Apostle Paul says, no, he rose from the dead. Man, he was seen of, of so many others. At one time, even 500 at once. He was seen of myself even as an apostle out of due, due time. And so he's saying, listen, we know for a fact that Jesus Christ resurrected. We know that he lives today and that he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And he says, and I just want you to know that that resurrection is essential. It is absolutely necessary because if Jesus Christ didn't rise from the dead, friend, you're in trouble. The fact is you're still in your sin. The fact is, is that all this religion that you are exercising is a waste of time. He moves on in the chapter and he, he informs them that even as Christ rose from the dead in a glorified form, so they too would rise uniquely different than they were right now. They'd have a new body raised incorruptible, he tells them. Look at verse 42 through 44. He goes on to tell them, so also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. He says, I want you to know that the resurrection not only affected Jesus Christ and he had the power to rise from the dead, but friend, because he rose, you'll rise also. 
And I need to tell you, it's going to be an unbelievable day, he's telling them. And then he lets them know that this change will accompany the the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. That when will this happen? When Jesus comes back, he tells them. Look at verses 51 through 53. A glorified body, a body like unto the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the body that he promises to everyone that names his name, that knows the Lord Jesus as their Savior. Listen to what he says in verse 51 through 53. He goes on to say, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. When he says all, remember who he's speaking to. He's speaking to the church at Corinth. Churches are comprised of believers. Wake him up. Churches are comprised of believers. Wake the young man up. He needs to hear this. Churches are comprised of believers. If someone's not a believer, sit up, young man. You'll be much less likely to fall asleep. Please sit up. Yes, thank you, sir. And so what we find is, is that churches are comprised of believers, those that put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Now, he's talking to those people. And when he says here in the passage, he says, we shall all be changed. He's talking about those that are in Christ Jesus, those that already know the Lord as their Savior, those that are already part of not only the physical church, but they are part of the body of Jesus Christ. And that's who he's talking to. And he says, listen, we're all going to be changed. Hey, do you know Christ today is your Savior? Guess what? You're going to be changed too. That's what he's saying. Verse 52. How? When? Why? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. Man, what a hope. What an encouragement. Oh, I know that the church of Corinth wasn't always doing everything right. And I know that they were struggling with some issues. And I recognize the fact that there were some false teachers trying to undermine the word of God. But the fact is, is that the Lord Jesus Christ is is going to come back, he says. And I want you to know you haven't missed the boat. And I want you to know when he does come back, you're going to get that new glorified body, even as Jesus had as well. Man, that's a wonderful hope. We know that belief always impacts behavior. It always does. Someone says, well, I believe this. If you truly believe it, it will affect how you live. You ever meet people say, well, I believe this and I believe that. And you say, really? You know, I get a little bit perturbed with a guy who says, I love my wife, but then he goes around spending all his money on alcohol and drugs and neglecting his wife and family. That's not the kind of funny kind of love to me. I don't know about you. And you say, you don't have a right to judge him. No, but you tell me. You tell me for just a moment. Is the statement correct that what we believe impacts our behavior? It does. That is an obvious truth. Well, wait a second. The Apostle Paul then, in order to guard against this attitude or an attitude of, an attitude of the people there in Corinth, to somehow believe that the second of coming of Christ is more of an excuse not to get active, not to be involved, but instead to sit back and kind of relax a little bit. 
he speaks up and says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Oh yeah, you may believe and you may be convinced that Jesus Christ is going to return, but don't allow that to lull you to sleep. Don't let the fact that he's coming back and that he's going to rescue us in a sense, give us a new body, establish his kingdom, and move forward and make everything right. Don't let that just cause you to take a step back and relax. No, no, that's the last thing you need to do, he's saying. It ought to move you. It ought to motivate you to dig your heels in even deeper. Continue to work for the cause of Christ. <laughs> right off the bat, he, he says to them, because, therefore, my beloved brother, because your salvation is secure. Because the Lord Jesus Christ did resurrect and rise again and you are going to rise also. Because he had a glorified body and so will you. Because he is coming back. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable. Again, the second coming of Christ ought to move us to dig our heels in. See, the word steadfast in, in the Bible is a word that means to be seated. That sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But it, it means to be seated. To be steadfast. Be steadfast. Seated. This just moves a little bit because it slides on this floor and we have these little things underneath that are slippery, but truthfully, it's solid. You're steadfast. You're seated. I don't know too many people. I was, I was watching an, an old show last night. Uh, I don't even know if it was, no, a couple nights ago. It was a Christmas show from 1948, I think. And I was watching this thing and this guy, this is no lie. Oh, that's not going to work, is it? There we go. He's in a seat, and he sits down, and he's talking to this benefactor, a woman that has all this money, and he's trying to build an edifice, this big uh, building for his church. And so he goes to get out of his seat, and it goes like this. And he's walking around going, what's going on? How come I can't get out of my seat? Well, of course, well, you know, there, there was, you know, heavenly powers involved here. But anyway, he couldn't get out of his seat. What, and you know what? When you're seated steadfast steadfast and that's what the picture is the christian the new believer center that up a little more the new believer is seated they're steadfast but then he also goes on to say they're to be unmovable it means to be firm so we have this word steadfast meaning to be seated, suggesting that you've settled your own personal convictions, that you are settled on some of these truths of the Word of God, that, that nobody's going to cause you to, be, to change them, that it's not going to happen. You're not going to be lured away by them or by some snake oil salesman or even the devil himself as he has the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. No, none of that's going to affect you. You are seated. You are solid. You are there. And you're firm now. You're unmovable. You've settled what you believe. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. Yes, the, the Lord is coming back. And 
it might be tempting to say, well, things are falling apart around us here. But he says, no, be steadfast. Take a seat. Settle in. Plant your feet firmly. Know what you believe and why you believe it and what the truth is and let nobody or nothing move you. Sadly, there are those who never really settle what they believe, though. Instead, they continue in a state of spiritual infancy. And that was true in Paul's day, and it's true in ours as well. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 5, verse 12, you needn't turn there, but let me read it. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need to be one, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. And are become such as have need of milk and not strong meat. Again, listen to what he says. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you should be the teacher now. You should have gained enough information. You should have, you should have been affected by that truth, those truths, so much so that now they're second nature for you and you are capable and able to transfer them and to share them with others. You becoming the teacher now, no longer the student, although we continue to grow, we continue to learn, no doubt about that, but now you are also taking what you've learned and starting to share it with others. When you should be in that position in your Christian life, your spiritual growth, you're like little spiritual baby still. You still have need for someone to come along and take a little bottle and go, come on, get the baby, take a little bottle. Oh, that's good, isn't it? That's really good. No, no, drink it. Come on now. Come on. That's a pretty sad picture of a Christian that's been a Christian for 10 years. 15 years, 20 years. Still needing somebody to feed them, bottle feed them. Because they can't get to the, the table and cut their own meat up and, and, and take a bite and eat the mashed potatoes and gravy. Can't do that on their own. Can you imagine a 20-year-old or a, even a 10-year-old boy comes to Thanksgiving dinner at your house and his mother's over there cutting all his meat up and, and, and saying, you know what, this meat's a little heavy for him. Do you have just some milk? You got an extra bottle? I know those are for your babies, but my 10-year-old's like a baby. He still can't eat meat. You'd be like, what's wrong with that kid? Well, let me ask you, what's wrong with Christians that can't digest any real meat of the word? And that's what the Apostle Paul's talking about, or whoever wrote the book of Hebrews is saying, that there, you ought to be at a certain place in your Christian life. And Paul's telling now, as he talks to the Corinthians, he's saying, listen, you need to be steadfast. You need to be unmovable. Don't be swayed with every wind and wave of doctrine. Don't allow people to upset you all the time. Don't be so convinced that they're right and you're wrong. You ought to have that settled. You ought to be sitting firmly in a seat. Your heels dug in. You say, well, I struggle with that. Then start digging into the word more. Make it a point to have a, a you know, to, as we talked about, I think last week, a, have a growth plan. How are you going to get from A to Z? How are you going to get past that stage in your Christian life? Man, go talk to your Sunday school teacher. Ask them, hey, what books have you read that have helped you and encouraged you? What, what kind of scripture do you read? And, and when do you pray? And how long do you pray? And what do you do that enabled you to grow in your Christian life? 
because I need to grow. If they don't have answers, then you better talk to somebody that does. And honestly, you better switch classes maybe if they don't. I'd be pretty, pretty upset to hear that one of our adult leaders couldn't even tell somebody what their prayer life's all about. You know what I'm saying? That'd be pretty bad, wouldn't it? Be the blind leading the blind. But I think you're going to find they're going to have some pretty good suggestions and ideas for you. Or at least they're going to be able to tell you what they do and you can start following in their footsteps and maybe grow like they have. So Paul, Paul is pointing out the need to be strong, secure, and settled in the faith. And you know, more than ever in our generation, there's a need to be steadfast, unmovable. You know, as the tide of evil washes across our nation, boy, do we need to be steadfast and unmovable. That current is pretty heavy duty right now. It's strong. You better be planted. You better be firm. The shifting sand of cultural relevance and political correctness it has so bound the truth of the Word of God and instead elevated the wisdom of man that it's just, it's sometimes it's difficult to fight. This so-called Respect for Marriage Act is just one example of the changing tide that's taking place in our country. It's ridiculous. It's unscriptural. It's unbiblical. Somebody used the term the other day, traditional marriage. May I say it's biblical marriage we're to be focusing on. Not traditional. Traditions change in cultures. But the Bible doesn't change. I'm not going to say, I believe in traditional marriage. I believe in biblical marriage. I believe in biblical discipline in the home. I believe in biblical roles in the home. The Bible... We need to be seated and firm in our position, our philosophies. We cannot be wavering in the face of change. In Psalm 119, 160, the Bible says, Thy word is truth from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. John 17, 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Is the Bible God's word or isn't it? Do you believe that it is indeed what God says it is, His word and truth? If that is indeed the case... If that's true, if we believe that God's word is true, then we must be steadfast, unmovable. There can be no question in our mind what is right or wrong. Our moral, political, social, economical, religious compasses must be calibrated true north. We, can, we have to consistently and constantly be pointed toward God and his word. You know, even in the face of the most compelling arguments, we must look to God and His Word alone for the truth. We're to be steadfast and unmovable. I'm fearful today that within the context of the, quote, church, unquote, not our church specifically, but churches across the world and across the country at least, we are watching this be devalued in the eyes of believers. And the social and political correctness of our country being raised. Where people are more concerned about fitting in with this standard than this one. Now listen, I don't know about you, but Jesus Christ is coming back. And that's why the Apostle Paul says that we must be steadfast, unmovable. We need to be seated and firmly fixed into the soil and root of the Word of God. 
Why? Because he's coming back. Do you know who's going to judge you? Not the court of public opinion, friend. Who's going to judge you and me is Jesus Christ, who is the author and finisher of our faith and is the Word of God. So you believe what you want to believe, but you'll be judged for what he believes. Let God be true, but every man a liar, the Bible says in the book of Romans. It's not a matter of I'm right or you're right. It doesn't matter what this church believes or that church believes. What matters is what God says. That's what matters. I don't care who the leader of the free world is. It doesn't matter. Because in the end, they don't dictate nor do they determine what I believe and where I stand. I stand on God's word. And so must you. This dictates and determines what is right and wrong, what is true and false, what is acceptable or unacceptable. And that's what the Apostle Paul is basically saying to them. Jesus Christ is coming back. Now listen, don't sit back, so to speak, and relax and do nothing on behalf of Jesus Christ and the cause of Christ, but you're going to have to be fixed. You're going to have to be truly grounded. You're going to have to be rooted in the Word of God because there's going to be winds of change sweeping over you and you're going to be tempted to be moved. Don't move. Be seated and firm. Having settled what we believe, the thing is to get going for God now. Because then he goes on to say in the passage, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be you steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. He's saying, you know, with such a bright and glorious future that awaits us, we should double our efforts to serve the Lord. We should be more motivated and moved than ever to dig our heels in and get started working on behalf of Jesus Christ. Ecclesi uh, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, would you please? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. The battle we face as believers is not really so much an external battle, it's an internal one. What I mean by that is this. It, it, it will not be what happens on the outside that ultimately wrecks or ruins the church. It's what will be taking place inside and what is accepted on the inside. When we choose to neglect God and His Word, the very foundation... The church is the ground and pillar of the truth. Once we lose the truth, we really aren't a church. I am so burdened by the fact that sometimes, in some cases, we see it where preachers become a mouthpiece for the political correctness of our world. Even if it doesn't line up with Scripture. We have got to hold our ground. We've got to say what God says is true. And that's what matters most. That's, what, that's all that matters. It doesn't mean we carry around a big stick and 
we, like so many others in our world today, want to beat everybody that doesn't believe us or wreck and ruin their reputation if they don't agree with us and try to somehow blackball them in the culture and the society and even in their job where they work. No, that's not what we're about. We're about loving people to Jesus Christ. We're about holding to the Word of God in a Christ-like manner. But we're not going to compromise and we're not going to step back and say, all right, take the ground that Jesus Christ already gave us. No, Jesus fought for that hill. Jesus took that bunker. Jesus said, this is truth, and this is where I stand, and therefore we ought to say, we are not retreating. Ephesians 5, 14 through 16, now that we have that settled, and I hope and pray that we all do, we're to abound in the work of the Lord. Ephesians 5, 14, wherefore he saith, awake thou that sleepeth, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Man, I mean to tell you, Paul the Apostle is writing to the church at Ephesus now, and he's saying to them, listen, you got to be awake, guys. You cannot be falling asleep at the wheel. There is a purpose for your existence. You are left on this earth with a commission. Jesus Christ made it very clear what he wanted you to do. And he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Hey, the power to see people come to Christ is found in the power of the Holy Ghost. It's not found in our own ability or, or even found in our preparedness. If we don't have Christ with us moving forward and making the difference in lives and changing lives, nothing will happen with our efforts. That's why we can't dismiss his word in our life and go out into the world and bring people to him. We lose the power that we need, the Holy Spirit. We've got to have his presence, his power, because he's the life changer, the heart changer, not us. So wake up, he says to the church at Ephesus. Then walk circumspectly, not as fools. Keep your eyes open. Realize there'll be those trying to trip you up. There'll be people trying to get you off course, trying to get you to divert your attention from the work and cause of Christ to something that is not important in eternity. So as the return of Christ grows ever near, our efforts should increase, not decrease then. We should be more focused and single-minded than ever on Christ and on the awesome task of reaching the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. So he says, well, there's a lot of works we can do. I don't have to go tell somebody about Jesus to be doing the Lord's work. Let me ask you something. Let me ask you this. If you, you sent your son to die on a cross and to pay for the sin of the world, and then you had people that supposedly loved you and were serving you. What message do you think you'd want them to tell more than any other? I'd want to tell them about that son that I just gave up for them. Because that cost me more than anything else. And I'd want every one of them to have that on their, their lips as they go into this world. Yeah, live a good life, a clean life, a moral life. Yes, Follow the word of God and don't allow sin to enter into your life. I get all that. But let me tell you something. In the end, you want to talk about the real ministry and the real work? It's taking the gospel to a world that's in need of Jesus Christ. 
That's what God is looking for us to do. That's the commission. That's the, 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 the job that he gave the disciples and to the early church. And that's the job that we still have today. A church can be doing a lot for the poor. A church can be doing a lot for the community. But if they're not winning them to Christ and not giving the gospel and not trying to increase the kingdom, they have lost sight of what they were called to do. Those should all be a means to an end, reaching the world with the gospel, not simply the gospel. Community Baptist Temple should cease to exist. We should, we, if we do not win people to Christ, if we're not going out in the community, if we're not trying to win others to the Lord, if every effort of ours is not centered around the fact that we've been given a commission to win others to Jesus Christ, then we are not fulfilling our responsibility as a church and we don't even deserve to exist. It's a waste of money. It's a waste of your time and money. Waste of your, go find a church that is then if we're not providing opportunities to witness and win people to Jesus Christ. If we're not providing this outreach that God told us we're responsible for. Find somebody in somewhere you can fulfill your God-given purpose for existing as a believer. But as long as we are, you dig your heels in and you be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. He goes on to say, finally, and, and this is important, he says, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You know, the one thing I like about the Lord is that he doesn't expect us to do anything for nothing. It's crazy. You say, well, first of all, someone that tells me, well, I'm just serving the Lord because I love Jesus. Yeah, that's good. Why do you love him? Because he first loved you, so that's why you're serving him. Because he first loved you. Right? And then as a result, you love him now. And because you love him, it moves you, just like the Apostle Paul. The love of Christ constraineth us. His love for me is so great that I can't help but want to reciprocate it. So in a sense, everything that we do, we do because, well, he's done something on our behalf already. And guess what he does? He even goes on to say, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, do you realize that what you do even after you're saved, you'll be rewarded for? You say, that's, I don't know that, I don't like that. You know, to, I mean, we're to, we're to work with an eye on reward. I mean, I, I kind of feel like a reward is an unworthy motive. Well, then believe that, but keep working. But I'll tell you this much, the Apostle Paul obviously didn't think so. Matter of fact, he was eager to receive the crowns that God offered for his commitment to the cause of Christ. Turn if you into 2 Timothy chapter 4. See, sometimes we lose sight of why those crowns, what we'll do with those crowns. Man, I want tons of crowns. I, I, I hope I have to borrow a trailer, a big dump truck. When I get to heaven, man, I'm all about it. Sadly, I probably won't have nearly what I'd like to have, but let me tell you this, it shouldn't keep us from trying. Amen. But watch, this is what's so great. Notice what he says, Paul the Apostle says this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. Apostle Paul is preparing now to go on. He knows that his work on earth is coming to a close. And he says, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. He's talking about death. It's on the horizon. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. What is he saying? He's saying, I was steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, 
which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. Wow. That's something. Paul says, man, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to that crown. And you know, there would be other crowns that the Apostle Paul would get, I'm sure. And can I tell you that you have an opportunity to get that same crown, as well as others, I'm sure, too. You say, what will I do with them? I don't know. Just make sure that I got plenty of diesel in that old dump truck. I'm going to pull it on up, and I'm going to hit that handle, and I'm going to lift it up and drop them all at his feet. Because he deserves the glory and the honor. You know, Lord, I appreciate what you've given me, but I know that I wouldn't have them except you did it in and through me. These are yours. May they bring some sense of pleasure to you. May they honor you in some way. May I just in some way be able to please you now. Here, take them. They're yours. Speaking to the Galatians, Paul the Apostle said in Galatians 6, 9, Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So after defining the gospel, after pointing out the necessity of the resurrection, after informing them that they too would rise again with a new body at the return of Christ, Paul then extends this challenge to every believer. Therefore, my beloved brethren, he says, be ye steadfast, unmovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Don't let the winds of change or the temptation for new things to cause you to drift away from the old truths. You stay seated and strong in the Lord. When it's time to work, you'll be rooted so deep that the winds won't be able to move you and you'll continue to go in the right direction and you'll point true north. Get busy for God. Quit wasting time. Don't allow the devil to deceive you into believing somehow that Jesus is coming back so you can just take it easy now and relax. It won't be long now. He'll be coming back. They've been saying that for two millenniums. 2,000 years they've been saying that. You say, oh, are you saying it's not going to happen? I'm saying it could happen today. But he's saying, don't get lazy, get busy. Settle your doctrine. Know where you stand on the word of God and the things of God. Have some convictions that will not change no matter who changes or what changes in the world we live in. And then get going for me, he says. Serve me with all your heart, with all your might, with all your soul. And I promise you, it'll be worth it in the end, he says. Not only will you arrive and you'll hear well done, But there'll be gifts, so to speak. There'll be crowns that you will then have that you can cast if you want at my feet. And can I tell you, there won't be one of us that won't want to. Some of us need to get in the seat this morning. Some aren't as grounded as they ought to be. Some don't even know where they stand on certain issues in our culture and our society. They're being swayed and moved by the masses and by the public opinion that exists in our culture. Can I tell you, be very careful. As I said early on in the message, I made this statement, even in the face of the most compelling arguments, we must look to God and his word alone for the truth. 
What an amazing, amazing passage. Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Do you know what won't change ever? This. It'll never change. Stay in it, obey it, and stand on it. Just stand here. Dig deep. Get seated today. Maybe somebody needs to come and just sit in the chair and say, Lord, from this day forward, I'm going to plant myself in your word. I'm going to stop letting the society I live in, the family I even have, people around me to dictate and determine where I stand and what I believe. I'm going to let your word make that decision on my behalf. I'm going to follow you. And what I don't know, I'm going to learn so that I can be even more grounded than ever. Somebody may say, well, I'm already grounded. I'm seated firm and solid. I'm not moving with the, the winds of change. Okay? You abounding in the work of the Lord? Have you found yourself distracted by the things of this life and world? Yeah, get grounded, take a seat. But then get up and go for God. And every time you feel the winds of change coming, go back, sit down, and make sure you're still grounded. But you make sure you're busy for God. Father, we come to you. Lord, today in our crowd, there may be those that don't even know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Wouldn't that be sad? You literally sent your son, Jesus Christ, 2,000 years ago. Please leave that chair there. You sent your son 2,000 years ago to pay for our sin. You told us that we're the reason why he came. And Father, I'm asking you that there be one in this crowd, even just one, that has never received and invited Christ in their life, that never acknowledged their sin before a holy God, that they would recognize today that they need Jesus in their life. That they would call upon him and say, Lord Jesus, I'm the sinner you died for, and I need you to come into my life, forgive my sin, and I need you to become my Savior. Lord, there might be somebody like that today, and the Holy Spirit's convicting them. Lord, there may be those that are believers already that need to dig deep, need to sit in that chair even if necessary, and make a commitment to you and say, I'm going to get grounded. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit firm. I'm not going to allow the devil or anybody else to move me off of your word. Lord, and there may be others that just need to get busy in the work of God and will come and say, I'm going to start getting busy for God. I know what I believe and I know what's right and wrong. I just have to now exercise it in my life daily. And I need to get busy for Jesus. Father, bless us now in this time of invitation. We'll thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Let's all stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed.